My name is Dr. Joanna Pagonis, and welcome to Tackle Tuesday. Tackle Tuesday is a podcast series that tackles different issues in the workplace. We explore topics such as leading with emotion, diversity and inclusion, and how to create resilient and agile work cultures. Today's episode is sponsored by Synogap Solutions, where we are experts in workplace culture. We make it easy to survey your employees and uncover actionable insights that will help you create a great company culture. It has been a tough year, and my conversation with Jeff Harry couldn't have come at a better time. Our conversation is filled with wisdom, inspiration, motivation, and a ton of fun. Jeff Harry is the owner of Rediscover Your Play. Jeff taps into individuals and companies' true selves so that they can feel their happiest and most fulfilled all by playing. Jeff has worked with Google, Microsoft, Southwest Airlines, Adobe, the NFL, Amazon, and Facebook, helping their staff to infuse more play into the day today. Jeff is an international speaker who has presented at conferences such as Inbound, SXSW, and Australia's Pause Fest, showing audiences how major issues in the workplace can be solved using play. Jeff was selected by Bamboo HR and engagedly as one of the top HR influencers of 2020 for his organizational development work around dealing with toxic people in the workplace. And his play work has most recently been featured in the New York Times article, How Do We Add More Play to Our Grown-Up Life Even Now? So, What do we talk about? We talk about Jeff's purpose, his passion, pursuing a career that would allow him to fulfill both. We explore what play is, what it looks like in the workplace, and what can we do to live a life that is more fulfilling. I walked away with two new mottos for 2021. One is, on the opposite of fear is everything you wanted, and expectation is the thief of joy. If you're looking for a pick-me-up, this episode is for you. This is my gift to you before the holidays. Enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Tackle Tuesday. I'm so excited to have Jeff Harry. How are you today? I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> me too. This is a Friday afternoon. Uh, well, where are you joining us from? Tell everyone where, you're, where, Chicago, you're, where you live Illinois, now. The Chicago, the Midwest. Awesome. Of the United States. And what, <laughs> what time is it there now? It is 3.43 p.m. Okay. So this is a great way to end the Friday and to start the, the, the weekend. Um, so I'm so excited to talk to you, not just for that, but we're really going to be focusing on play and play in the workplace. And so this has been one of the reasons why I was excited to have you on. When you reached out to me through, it was through LinkedIn. Oh, my God. I I listened to one of the podcasts you're on, looked at your website, and I immediately was drawn to you and your purpose and what you're doing. And it's been a really interesting year, and it's been tough, and I'm trying to see it as a year of opportunity, but look, it's hard. It's tough. Mm -hmm. And I think this topic will reinvigorate people, and I'm sure it will for me. And that's why I was excited to talk to you today. So thank you for being on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Okay. So I always like to start with an icebreaker. You know, tell us about your 
your career journey. Sure. Like, what are the circumstances that led you to starting Rediscover Your Play? Yeah. So, do you remember the movie Big with Tom Hanks? Yes. So I'm 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 old enough to be part of that. Yeah, I'm part of that too, right? So I saw that movie, and Tom Hanks dances on a piano, and then he's offered a job to play with toys for a living, and I was like, "That's a job! Oh my gosh, I want that job!" And I was in third grade, so I first went to FEO Schwartz, danced on the piano. No one offered me a job. Super disappointed. And then I started writing toy companies like right after that. And I just didn't stop. Like I wrote them all the way through high school. At one point, a toy company wrote me back and told me to go in mechanical engineering. I should have never listened to them, but whatever. I just was like, I'm going to be in the toy industry. Like this is going to be my dream. And then I got there. And I don't know if you've ever had the moment where you've gotten what you've wanted and then been so disappointed when you get there. <laughs> but, but you know, I'm sitting in a cubicle, padded walls. Where else do they pad walls? In places, you know, that, that are not the best places, right? So it's just um, no fun, no toys, no play, no kids, no high fives, just like so boring. Yet we're a toy company. Yeah, it was just so boring in these cubicles. And I was like, this sucks all of the fun out of everything. Why am I here? So I remember leaving this organization, leaving New York, coming to the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, bumping into an organization that was teaching kids engineering with Lego. They were just playing for a living. And I was just like, I want to do that. It was paying 150 bucks a week. It was like a joke of a job. But I was like, listen, they're playing. That's what they're doing. And over the course of like the next 15 years, we grew it into the largest Lego-inspired STEM organization like in the U.S. And we did it all by playing, all by making it up as we go along. No business plan, picking cities that we thought were fun, picking people that we thought were fun, failing miserably, but just constantly experimenting. And then we got the attention of Silicon Valley, um, you know, around like 2012, 2013, like Facebook, Google, Adobe, like PayPal, Netflix, all of those organizations. And they asked us, do you do team building events? And of course we were like, of course we do. Even though we didn't, we, <laughs> we were just saying yes to everything. Right. That's what we yeah. Do, right. We just say yes to everything. And then <laughs> over the next like seven, maybe 10 years, seven to 10 years, I ran team building events for some of the top Fortune 500 companies like in the world. Yeah. But what I noticed was at the same time they talked about disruption, agile, innovation, all of these buzzwords, they had not created a play-oriented environment for you to achieve any of that. And if anything, they weren't tackling any of the major issues that needed to be tackled to create a psychologically safe work environment. So how to deal with toxicity at work, how to deal with office politics, how to have hard conversations, how to talk about um, not being racist at work by accident, you know, how to, <laughs> how to, how to deal with your inner critic, how to get your staff in flow, all these conversations that were being avoided yeah. because they're tiptoeing on eggshells. And I was like, no, let me create rediscover your play and combine positive psychology and play to address their most challenging issues. Mm. 
you know, you said something that struck a chord with me too. I remember when you said, have you ever gotten someplace where you got, when you finally got, you really wanted to get there. And when you got there, you were so disillusioned with it. Mm-hmm. I call it the uh, Wizard of Oz moment for yes. me. Yes. I uh, finally made it to Oz. Yes. I was so excited. I I looked behind the curtain and I was disgusted. <laughs> and I thought, this can't be my life. Right. This doesn't align with my values. Right. And and decided to do a 180, you know, kind of like really walk out the door and start start a new chapter in my life. So no, I, I, can, I relate. I love that. I mean, it reminds me of the Viola Davis quote. She says this a lot. You know, you either claim who you are or you end up chasing your worth for the rest of your life. You mm. know, and how many people are chasing their you know. worth? Like you have a choice at every moment to claim who you are or chase your worth. So how many people do you know that are like trying to impress other people? I always ask the question, who are you trying to impress right now? Right? Because if it's someone that you won't care about in five years, why are you trying to impress them? The amount of like keeping up with the Joneses that is happening is ridiculous. And I'm always helping my clients. You know, I I take this from my business mentor, Stephen Worley, where he's like, don't you want to get paid to be you? Like, what does that look like to actually be paid to be yourself, to just be you and not have to like front or pretend or wear costumes or wear your business suit or pretend this is professional me right now and just be yourself? Oh, that's so liberating. Mm. So how does play, because there's a question that I want to put out there before I forget it, but there is a precursor to the question. So one of the the things I want us to explore is, you know, define what you mean by play for us so people can understand it. And then the follow-up to that is, because I don't want to forget it, is how, what's the relationship between play and authenticity? Because what you were just talking about was bringing your whole, real, authentic self. Uh, How does play inspire and help us be more authentic. So first, first things first, let's define what you mean yeah, by let's play. Define play. So um, I define play as any joyful act where you forget about time, where you, there is no result. There is no purpose where you um, don't have anxiety about the future. You don't have regrets about the past. You are just fully in the moment, like fully falling in love with the process So like play can look like that for anything. So I was working with a client once who said, well, I don't play. I don't ever play. And I was like, well, what do you do? And she goes, "Um," she's a lawyer. And she goes, I I help people that hate each other to agree on one thing. And then I said, tell me more. And she started nerding out and getting excited about it. And I was like, that's your play. So everyone has a different interpretation of what that is. Now, how play ties in with authenticity is like when you are truly in flow, when you truly are in play, you are you. You are your inner child. Like if you look at any kid when they're playing at a playground, they are just being their full self. They're going all out there, you know, and and we forget about that. We like fight that. Like we, you know, we've like pushed that part of down and I can get into why in a moment if you want to. Um So when you're actually in flow, if you think of your favorite moments in your entire life, they're all play moments. They're they're just moments where you are fully present in love with this process and just fully being you. I would actually challenge the listeners right now is to take a moment, even maybe hit pause 
on their phone or if they're in their car and think about a time, in, and I'll say in work, because I think we can think of a time like that outside of work easily, but think of a time that you were at work and you were in play, meaning totally immersed, you lost the concept of time and you felt like your purpose and and your your passion were aligned yeah, through your and work. I, and I tell this to team leaders all the time, especially right now in this virtual workspace where a lot of people are thinking about leaving jobs, you know, like, I don't know why I'm here anymore. One of the best things a team leader can do is what you just said is go up to your staff and ask them, what is the work that you love to do the most at this job? Mm-hmm. Okay. Awesome. The work where you forget about time. Oh, you love to connect with clients. What percentage of the time you are currently doing is that work? Oh, only 10% of that time. Are you doing that? How can we get it so that it goes from 10 to 15%, which is not that big, but it's maybe an extra hour, like a week. Because if you do that, studies have found when you allow people to get into that flow work, Marcus Buckingham refers to it as red thread work. You know, um, Gay Hendricks refers to it as like your zone of genius or your guy, right? Um, even if you're just doing 5% more, it has a ripple effect that makes all of your work better because if you do your flow work to start your day, everything, you know, like just goes from there. And if you're talking about ROI as to like, oh, well, why would this be helpful? When you give the freedom for your staff to get into their flow work, all you need to reference is Google's uh, 20% rule. They gave their staff 20% of their time maybe sometimes at the end of the month where they could pursue whatever curious thing they wanted to pursue as long as it helped the business. And some of the ideas that have come from that Google 20% program has been Google Meet, which a bunch of you are now using. Gmail came from this. So many billion-dollar ventures have come from this. And even Tony Shea with Zappos, totally did this as well where he only wanted people to be authentically themselves at his work and if they and he would even do this which was crazy he would pay people to leave to be like i'll give you three thousand dollars to leave right now and the people that love the culture that play culture so much were the ones to stay and that's how he created such a play-oriented powerful work culture examples How can you think some managers are don't do that? Um, I think they don't ask that question because they are trying to hit their quarterly results, right? You know, the biggest issue that adults have is we are so fixated on results, you know, and expectations are the thief of joy, right? And when your staff is in flow, they are doing their best work. But they might not be focused specifically on results. So, you know, when people are like, well, how can I just play? You know, we still have to get work done. You can totally get work done. But the way in which you get there is 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 how do we want to get there? Do you want to do a brainstorming session where – tell me how great a brainstorming session is when you go into a box room, get – sit in a box table, and then you give people an hour to come up with the best ideas – in the world. You've just crushed any level of brainstorming, you know, go brainstorm while you're shooting hoops or something, or go do a walking tour. If if you're virtual, like everyone is walking while they're doing like, let's, let's rethink how we're doing all of this work. 
right? And then I also say this a lot, you know, the I've been studying now the eight-hour workday for a while because I'm like, where does this even come from? Um, and I found that it was developed by a Welsh labor activist named Robert Owen back in 1817. And then no one touched it for a hundred years besides like the national labor movement here. Um, and then basically it was implemented by Henry Ford, at least in the U S I don't know what it was like in Canada, but it was implemented by Henry Ford in 1926 um, because the depression was happening and no one wanted to come to work because no one wanted to work 11 to 15 hours a day for like barely any money. So he doubled everyone's wages and made it eight hour workday, right? Since 1926, no change. 94 years, no change to the eight hour workday. Like, are you kidding me? And then studies have now found that most staff can only focus for two hours and 53 minutes of a given day. So if you have a overachieving staff, maybe they can do three to four hours or four to five hours, but that's it. Yet the workday is now extended to 8.8 hours here in the U.S. Mm. So what are people doing for five and a half hours? <laughs> they are doing BS meetings. They are making up work to look busy. They are going to get coffee. They're on social media. They're looking at news. They're looking for other jobs because they're not engaged. Like I think it's like 75 to 80% of people are just not engaged at work right now. So it's yeah. like, we need to rethink the work day. We need to rethink how people are, how people are showing up to work and knowing if you only had three hours, what would you ask your staff to do? Exactly. The guy that I interviewed this morning, Dan Eds, he said that according to Gallup, about 60, 66% of employees are either disengaged or actively sabotaging. Actively sabotaging. Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned the ROI and play and why it's important. I mean, think about it. Are you really, when are you most productive? When you love what you're doing and you're having fun at it or when you're dragging your feet to work and absolutely detest it. And so for for only productive, I think that if you love what you do, you can up the three hours to a couple of, probably half an hour. You could have to say maybe even eight, right? But if you don't create a psychologically safe environment for people to do so, this this is where ROI happens, right? There was a study recently done that 80% of top corporate leaders, not CEOs, but right underneath them, all the VPs and everything like that, when they asked them, how many of you actually share your best ideas? 80% of them said, I don't. So right now, all of the products that we have, our phones, you know, the computer, these are all mediocre ideas. The war, we have the mediocre ideas in the world that because no one wanted to share their best idea because they didn't feel comfortable enough to share it because they think someone's going to steal it or what, what have you. Or discount so, it. Right. Or discount it. So it's like, what are we doing? We're like, you know, we're not even challenging our workplaces to create the best work because we are so fixated on these re- quarterly results, which ruin the whole purpose of why we show right. up at work. You know, I, I remember when I was um, 
a, a young a young woman in the workplace learning more about me and my style and how I worked. Uh, I was doing my master's at the time, and we were really focusing on you know how to how to design training programs and educational programs, and right. and my focus was in the social social services. So I wanted to, I was wanted to work in the nonprofit sector. So you don't just design programs for a result; you really do to transform people's lives. But I guess that's the result. But one of the things I learned was it's not about the result. It's not about the tasks that you check off, which I realized I was very task oriented. You need to embrace the process Mm -hmm. because if you love the process and you you embrace everything that comes with it, you will get a good result. But you're always focused on the result. You may never get there. And you said something that was important, cycle, social psychological safety safety. and so i wanted to ask a little bit about you know how does why is play so important you've already talked a little bit about that but when it comes to uncertainty and stress and there are a lot of people who are feeling that right now as things are continually shifting how can play help us absolutely yeah so oh oh so first just to respond to that part about the process right okay is like when you actually are falling in love with the process, you're most present right now. So you can be there to connect with people, right? And when we're so fixated on the results, right? Expectations are the thief of joy. You can't be present at all. Mm-hmm. And if we're talking about like, like tying into the question that you just asked, why has 2020 been so hard for people? Part of the reason was because we had such high expectations. We thought we were going to, you know, double our business, get married, travel the world. Like everyone had these, it's 2020 and 2020 is going to be my year. And, and then guess what? It wasn't, it wasn't. And instead of us allowing ourselves to mourn that, and then letting it go. That's what I do in actually one of our workshops with my friend, Lauren Yee. We run a Your Futures Where Your Fun Is workshop where we literally have people write out what they wanted to do in 2020 that would not happen. And then we had them fold it up into a paper airplane and let it go. And the reason why we do that, and even now, is because you have you have to let go of what you thought it was going to be. More than that, in order to, in the last 27 days or 26 days before 2020 is over, to create something new. And adults get so, they re-ruminate so much and we get like so fixated on like it has to happen this way that we ignore all of the possibilities that are are out there, you know, and, and what is actually happening to your brain when you're in a, in a play state, when you're in a flow state is usually you're in, when you're in a beta state, your prefrontal cortex is constantly running wild. Like it's constantly trying to protect you from all the dangers in the world, all that stuff that you've heard so many times. But when you go to a flow state, you're actually going through something called hypnofrontality where part of your prefrontal cortex actually shuts down and your inner critic starts to dissipate. And then your implicit mind appears. You become highly creative. You start to see all of these opportunities in front of you. Instead of just fixated on one, you see all of these, you get this shot of dopamine. You become very curious. And you felt this when you traveled and you're open to just saying yes to everything, right? You know, or you've been in a state of flow where you forget about time and you're just like, that's where all the opportunities lie in that flow state. So 
for people that are struggling right now, what we have to do is we have to allow ourselves to first let go of what needed to happen. That's the first step. And then I can get into like how you actually can get into that play flow state in a moment if you want. Absolutely. Before you get there, I wanted to share something that you said that resonated with me. Um, Oh, yeah. Let go. I think I'm going to try this exercise and I encourage everyone who's listening to do it too. Grab a piece of paper and a pen and write down the things that you're mourning that mm-hmm. didn't happen through this year. Mm-hmm. And oh my God. And, and maybe, you know, I'm thinking with my family who I'll be connecting through virtually every year for Christmas, when we sit down at the table, we go around and we talk about let's, I'm a big person in self-awareness, which comes to reflection. And I always have a reflective moment at the dinner table. They always laugh because they all, they all know it's coming and they giggle when I do it. And, um, I think they they secretly like it when I do this exercise with them. And I think virtually I'm going to do it with them. I want you to think of one thing that didn't happen that you want to mourn. And then we will release together. But I'm thinking of something else, Jeff. Yeah. I want you to also think about one thing that happened because of COVID. That was good. What is right. one thing that happened because of COVID that you didn't anticipate that came to you that made, that was meaningful and purposeful and allowed you to grow and become better? Right. Um, and I actually, I just learned this um, at a workshop that my friend Jan was part of called Thank You Live. And I was like, what is this? And I guess it's in, this is in Canada. So who knows? I would have never been able to go to this anyway. Um, and what they did is they asked everybody to take 15 minutes and actually look back at everything that you appreciated and you did during 2020. And it was fascinating. Like if you go back to your emails, your Instagram posts, you know, your YouTubes, your calendar, and you look, you are going to be amazed by the amount of connections you made, the amount of magical moments that you had that you forgot about. And, and I do this thing every year called the, the play fun joy index where like, I don't, I don't believe in resolutions. I think resolutions a lot of times is just a bad idea, but, but I'm all about celebrating the play, fun, joy opportunities. Um, and what I ask people to do in the play, fun, joy index is I have people reflect on all of your favorite play moments throughout last year, like in 2020. And then I have people ask what play, fun, joy moments do you want? in the upcoming year, even if you know, they're all going to be virtual. Like what could those look like? Right. And when you're able to do what you said, like these reflective, you start to be like, Whoa, it was both such a sad and rough and tough year. And it was also magical and powerful. And if that's one thing that positive psychology taught me is that you allow all of the emotions that multiple emotions can exist at the same time. And I learned this when my dad passed away in 2015 and, you know, his brother showed up and his brothers hadn't seen each other in like 30 years. The last time they showed up was when their mom died and I'm surrounded by family members and I'm feeling grateful and joyful. And then I'm like, oh no, wait a minute. I'm at a funeral. Wait, I'm at my dad's funeral. I should be sad and grieving. And it's just like, wait a minute. I can feel all of it. I can feel grateful and sad, grief and joy, you know. And, and when I'm 
not judging myself for however I'm feeling at the time and allowing myself to fully feel that emotion and then let it go. So much more powerful than us trying to block it out. Right. You know, it's, I, I think it's called sweet sorrow for a reason. I believe through death, like death is one of the most tragic things that can happen. Uh, that really leaves people scarred and sad. And, but with it, I always say this. I remember when my father-in-law was passing away. We were just kind of there in the, in the senior's home waiting for the moment to arrive. And the whole huge family, my husband is the youngest of 11 children. And so you can imagine how big this family is and everybody was in the room and people deal with death very differently. But I remember looking at, we were, we were in the, the adjoining room waiting for him to pass and going in periodically, periodically to see how he's doing. I remember looking at my, 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 my in-laws, my family and saying, you know, with so much grief and sorrow and mourning, there's sweetness to it. Yeah. Be, and just like you said, look at all of us here together, supporting one another, loving one another. There's sweetness in this moment that we need to embrace and be okay with. It's okay for us to reminisce and, and laugh and, and have a good time because, you know, you know, in memory of this man, right, mm-hmm. who's so wonderful. Mm-hmm. And I think that's okay. And I don't know if you've ever read the book Tuesdays with Maury. Have you yeah, ever read that's, that's what I refer. That's where I first learned how to like feel the whole emotion and then let it go. I was going to say, I want to do a living funeral when I die, like, like lay on the couch and have people say stuff before I die. That's so much, that sounds so much more dope and more fun than, I don't want to wait till everyone's dead, like I'm dead. And then people say good things about me. It's like, whoa, that's whack, man. Right, right. And so like, and you know what, that book was one of the most, uh, thank God for that book. That Mm -hmm. book changed my life. Yeah. I started, I understood the power of embracing feelings and emotion because if you deny yourself that it will come back and bite you in the ass exactly you will never move forward and 2020 is one of those years that we have to be able to embrace uh-huh. how we're feeling um and and respect that and allow us to feel it because it'll be easier for us to move on from it absolutely and i think we're so scared of our emotions right we're so scared of like tapping into that because it's scary right but but I will say this, and, and then I can get into like the tangibles of, of how they someone can get into play. But I think this year's a challenge for your listeners. What is something right now that you would love to do, but you're also freaked out about doing, right? Like, what's that? What's that? Because if you pursue that, that's your play. That's the thing. Like, I think of Will Smith leaping out of a helicopter recently. He was bungee jumping out of it. And he goes, on the opposite side of fear is everything you've always wanted. Like, it's right there. But, like, are you ready to go to it? A lot of people don't want to feel the fear. But in order to feel the really high highs and the joyful moments, you also have to be in the cavern of fear. And that's scary for a lot of people. So instead, they're like, I'll just binge watch Netflix and I'll just, you know, go on social media and scroll, which which is fine. I do that as well. But, you know, at the end of your life, do you want to have looked back and been like, I binge watched my whole life? Or did right. I live? Before you get into the tangibles, I want to do something different. I usually always stick to, I'm going to say... All my conversations with my guests are fun, but you know, there's a process to the conversation and we stick to the questions and the topic at hand. I want to do something a bit different. If you'll, (laughs) it's all about play. We're going to role model play a little bit. And this is how I'll, I'll define play part. I kind of want to ask you, let us, (laughs) 
No one can see him on the video. I'm, I'm but moving these shoulders. He's, I'm doing he's a shoulder dance. Shimmy, shimmy you his feel shoulder the shimmy dance. shoulder dance? I feel the shimmy. Here you go, shoulder. For the listeners, here's the shoulder shimmy. <laughs> okay, you said, do on the opposite of fear is everything you wanted. What is the one thing that you really fear? I, I'd like us to, I, I want us to role model it and go mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. If we can do it, our listeners can do it. So can you start? And then, and then I'll go. What Absolutely. is one, what is one thing that you really fear? Um, one thing right now, well, here, can I answer it this way? Mm. You know, Elizabeth Gilbert always says personal transformation doesn't happen until you get tired of your own BS. Mm. Right. Um, so my BS in March was I didn't have time to make videos or I was too scared to make videos. I can't be in front of a camera, blah, 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 all these bad things. Right. And then quarantine happened here in the U.S. And it was like, guess what? You have all the time in the world. No, you don't have any place to go. Go. So now I can make a video a day. Like it's not that big of a deal, right? So the thing now that I'm fearing, that I'm struggling with is, you know, I've been hopping on all these podcasts. I've done 87 in the last seven months. Like I've done a lot. But now I'm venturing into a realm where I am applying to podcasts that I feel I have no, um, what is the word? I, there's no way I should be applying to these, but I don't care. I'm just doing them. They're like the Brene Browns, the Jim Quicks, like all of the big ones with like like infinitesimal, you know, or the, the 0.001% chance they'll even write me back, let alone allow me on there. But I'm doing it. But also my inner critic the whole time is telling me like, you're never going to make it, blah, blah, blah. But then the inner child of me is like, do it anyway. So that is what I've been struggling with as I like start to apply to these, which are like freaking me out. But I'm also like stepping into that fear. Mm, that is a good one. Oh, I'm definitely not one of those top 1% of podcasts. Maybe one day. Maybe, maybe. Don't know it. (laughs) And then we'll one day, yeah, we'll replay this, right? Oh, okay. My turn, I guess. So, I started my business in 2020, February Mm -hmm. 2020, not knowing what was around the corner. Wow. You know, and you and you think you go back in time, you're like, why didn't I see this coming? But really, a lot of people say nobody saw it. Nobody saw it coming. And so, this whole year has been a moment of a scared shitless fear of I've never, all the things I've done, I have never done before. And, but I put myself out there and I'm doing it, but this is what I'm beginning to realize. And I've never told anybody this. I haven't even told my husband, this This is something that's been on my mind and I've just kind of pushed it down, but I I should go there. So obviously this year of business, the first year, all first years of a new business is, is tough, but I think being a pandemic, it's even more exceptionally tough. And because we're so virtual, you don't have that immediate feedback from people. Mm-hmm. Feedback is important. It keeps you going. Absolutely. You know what you're doing right. You know where you need yeah. to shift and pivot. Yeah. But I wasn't getting any of that, right? right? And so kept feeling like I was lost and I wasn't sure if I was moving in the right direction and if I had something of value to share with the world. Right. Now, now, it's, now, it, now it's coming. So I'm feeling a bit more confident. But here's where I'm at. Business is getting a bit better, but I'm afraid. 2021, to be honest with you, I don't think it's going to be that different from 2020. I think there's, mm-hmm. you know, right. But, but, you know, once again, I'm talking about these expectations and, you know, they, they, how, what's the expression? Expectations are what? Are the thief of joy. I'm writing this down. Are the thief of joy. So what if, 
2021 rolls by and I see all of these other businesses doing well and my business still is struggling. Right. I'm like, I'm almost afraid for the pandemic to end because I have an excuse to, to lean on, to, to shoulder on as to why my business isn't taking off based on how I expected it to. Right. Now, what if the pandemic ends and I'm like, oh, I'm kind of still in the same place. I'm an utter failure. That's my fear. Right. And so where to go, if I want to go on the opposite end of that, is to not stop, to keep going through it and to not have that expectation and and to give myself another narrative. Well, but also know that everyone else has that same feelings. I feel this the exact same way. Like, like you're not alone in that. Like, like I think I run, so, and you know this too, because you run these workshops as well for these teams. So many of the best workshops, people love them because they feel seen, they feel heard and they belong. And, and here's a perfect example of, of play, right? Like yeah. in the working world that worked out for me is my friend Gary Ware and I were having burritos in San Diego and we came up with this idea of like, wouldn't it be cool to run a workshop called Dealing with A-Holes at Work Through Play? Because we we had been running team building events forever and there were so many A-Holes. There were so many toxic people that no one was addressing. So we came up with this idea and then we were like, yeah, yeah, that would be hilarious. And then we started brainstorming it and then we ran it at some like, small event that we, you know, that we're part of world domination summit, just as a test run. And then we're like, wow, that's really fun. Like, Oh, we actually have something. Let's, let's just apply to all the biggest conferences, but guess what? No one's going to say yes to us because it has a hole in the title. No one will ever say yes. And then all of a sudden this dude contacts me like in July or August and was like, yo, we got into inbound. And I was like, what's inbound? What's an inbound? And he goes, it's the largest marketing conference like in the world. And I was like, oh crap, now we have to create this. So so that happened. And then we got into South by Southwest, which is another one of the largest, you know, creative conferences in the world. And then we got into Australia's Pause Fest, which is their South by Southwest. So right before COVID, Gary Ware and I were in Australia running this workshop that we had come up with on a whim just out of play. And also we had received awards because we ran this virtually just saying yes to everything. And we received awards for like being one of the top 100 influencers by HR influencers, by some HR company that we had not even ever heard of, but all of a sudden were giving us awards. And we're like, sweet. We didn't even know we were in HR. We were just kind of messing around with this. But we were following our curiosity and following something that was interesting. And then all of a sudden, because of all that play, we're sitting in Australia, we're running this workshop, and people are laughing and people are in tears. And why are they in tears? Because they heard from another person, oh, I left my job because of a toxic person. You did too? And then all of a sudden, all like... 50 or so people in the room were just like, yeah, that happened to me. That happened to me. And it was like, whoa, this is really powerful. And this all happened because we followed our curiosity and we were fixated on the result of like, what's this workshop going to do for us? How much money it's going to get? What's the quarterly return on it? We just were following 
who we are and and what drove us. And that took us to such a magical place like Australia right before COVID hit. Right. And that is such a great example of if you just allow yourself to play. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe that's the way to approach it is, oh, I'm, I'm not going to do this because of all of these expectations I have of myself. I'm afraid to fail. Instead, say this. Oh, this is an opportunity to play. They can reduce it. Just get rid of all those expectations get and think of, of it as an opportunity to play. Yes. No expectations. Just get in there and have fun and have play and then see what can happen. Yes. And I even use the word a lot with my clients, you know, the ones that I'm like helping to grow their business where I'm like, let's just do an experiment right now because then it's an experiment. We're just testing things out. You know, like you, you're, you're not, you're not like, okay, well, why is my business not as successful as Brene Brown's business? Because you're not Brene Brown and you don't have to be, and you, sh- you actually don't want to be right. Like, like my friend Virginia just talked uh, talk to me about this, you know, about jealousy where she goes, she goes, whenever I feel jealous, I have to, I have to ask myself, okay, I feel jealous. So do I want to do what that person does? Do I want to do what Gary Vaynerchuk and Brene Brown and Mel Robbins do? Okay. No, I don't. Okay. If I don't, then let it go. But you have a choice. You either do what they do. You let it go because that's not your path. Or third, you be bitter. Why do we choose the bitter one? That is not like, what is that? We, you know, and then we just constantly run that in our head. Like, oh, look how great they are. Oh, look how many followers they have. Blah, blah, blah. You know, here's something I love to tell people all the time. I know rich people. I know successful people. I know famous people. And they all suffer from affluent deadness, as I describe it. And what is affluent deadness is you can see it in their eyes where they are not happy. You know, they, you know, either they're so worried about losing all the money that they got, or they're so, or they're, they're angry that, that maybe their net worth is 5 million, but someone else has a net worth of 10 million. So there's never enough, right? Or they're just so sad because they thought when they got to this level, everything would work out. And then they have the audacity to post on Instagram how happy they are when I know they're not. And then I ask them and they're like, oh, well, I just post because I want validation and, you know, and I want the likes and stuff like that. But they're selling a lie to a bunch of us that are trying to also get up there so we can also be millionaires and be, and nobody's happy. And the person that actually is happy, the Tony Shays of the world, are people that are following their curiosity, that are fully in love with the process, that, that, that don't really care what happens as much out there as much as they care about what is a way in which I can show up fully and do the work that, that is most important to me. And, and Howard Thurman always says like, um, don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive because what the world needs is for more people to come alive. So what makes you come alive? Do that and see where it takes you. This is the question that I want to ask you now is it's perfect. You led me right into this question. Like how do we encourage play in ourselves? And like then, there? yeah. And then how do we help others get there too? Yeah. So that's perfect. Um, so I always reference um, Gwen Gordon, a play mentor of mine who talked about, you cannot play if you have not soothed yourself, if you've not calmed yourself down, you can't play in an anxiety ridden state or when you're angry, you just, it's just, it's not, you're not yourself, 
right? And you actually learn how to soothe yourself from the person that took care of you the most. So whoever nurtured you in a certain way that you've adopted that nervous system in, in, a, in a way of like how to, how to nurture yourself. So you've also adapted some of the trauma. So you have to like recognize that, right? So then you identify, okay, what soothes me? So when I take a shower, so many ideas come up for me, right? That happens for a lot of people. Other people, you know, get a bunch of ideas when they walk or, or run or other people do it when they do morning pages and they do three pages in a row. Like people have their way. So identify what that is for you. And then this is coming, this is ironic for a play guy to say this, but then I challenge you to get bored. And what I mean by bored is like, turn off social media, stop binge watching Netflix. And I'm not talking about forever. I'm talking about one to two hours. I know it's a big deal, but one to two freaking hours. And if you're like, I don't have time to get bored, look at your phone. It tracks how many hours you're on your phone. You're on your phone three to five hours a day. You can find some time to get bored. And the reason why you want to get bored is because we get more information in a day that people got in the 1950s in a year. And and when I consume so much, when I'm watching way too many TikToks, then I feel like, oh, I don't want to create anything because everyone else has made everything and I, there's no reason for me to create anything. I'm like, ah. you know, right? You have that feeling. So block that out. Like just turn it off, get bored, learn how to get bored, and then allow for that inner curiosity, that inner child to start whispering to you those crazy ideas, the ones where you're both really excited and super scared. And it's going to whisper something that at first you're going to be like, what? I'm not going to do that. And, and they're going to be ideas like start a podcast, you know, make that video, um, start that side business. You know, look for that new job. Email that person that you've been wanting to email for six months but been putting it off. You know, write that blog post or start writing your ideas down that you've been wanting to write. The Pursue the thing that extent that you've wanted to do but also is really scary. And follow that curiosity and see where that takes you because it's going to take you to a magical place. And then the second thing of how to help other people to play is I challenge people to do this. And this is a really fun exercise. I run with a ton of my clients. So you reach out to three to five of your friends, your closest friends. And if you're, you know, your entrepreneur, maybe you reach out to your clients because maybe you're really close to your clients and you ask them these two questions. What value do I bring to your life? Because I think a lot of times we don't know the value we bring. Like, what do I do for you? Like, why are we friends? Like, what do I do for you? What value do I bring to your life? And then the second question is, when have you seen me most alive? And another way to ask that is like, when have you seen me most playful, most engaged, most present, most having fun? Like they all fall under the, when have you seen me come most alive? And what value do I bring to your life? And you get those answers back and it's such a shower of love and appreciation. And you look at the patterns on there and it gives you so much information of ways in which you either are already playing or you could play, right? Um, and then the other part that's magical about that is then you can turn to those same friends and be like, help me to do this. And you could do this via a tipsy storm as 
as I came up with, which is like you hop and get a bunch of your friends on the phone on, on a Zoom call and you all get a little tipsy and however you do that, alcohol, chocolate, ice cream, and you brainstorm a bunch of ways in which you can play more. You write them all down on a whiteboard or a post-it. You go to bed that night and when you wake up in the morning, you look at your list and the one that resonates with you most, you circle that and then you ask your friends, help me do that. And yeah. that's another way in which to play. Perfect. I do encourage people to do that. It's so powerful. I've done something similar to that. I have a course, an online course called Developing Emotionally Intelligent Leader. And one of the things that you do, I actually have another one that's built for teams, but kind of built on the same principles and philosophies. It starts before you can be an effective member of a team, you have to have that self-awareness of yourself mm -hmm. and appreciation for who you are and what your strengths are. I can, I think by doing that, it helps bring out that inner play in you uh, and get into the flow, as you mentioned. One of the questions, so there's a self-assessment, sorry, it's not a self-assessment, it's a 360 survey. And it's not one of those complex ones that are, uh, you know, uh, 50 questions and you get a 50 page report. It's, it's four, four to five questions. And I think I'm going to actually add one of your questions, but one of them is when have you seen me thriving at my best? So that's yeah. kind of like, that's your second yeah. question. Yeah. But I'm going to put in, I'm going to make it either. I think it's five questions I have. I'm going to actually add a six. What value do I bring to your life? I want to mm -hmm. add that in if you allow mm -hmm. me to add that into that self-assessment yeah. tool. Uh, that, sorry, that 360. I think that's so powerful and I encourage people to do it. I, it's, Part of the one of the questions I ask is, you know, what don't I do too well? Because it's all it's a three sixty, so you want to you you want to uncover your blind spots, right? But uh, I always say, do it. You'll be so it's so validating, it's so encouraging, it, it really makes you come to life. And I save all my responses in this folder called the feel good folder. Oh, Actually, the folder right. is called the feel good folder. And whenever I need inspiration, I need a pick me up, I need some validation that, you know. I'm worthy, if you will. I, I read my 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 feel good folder. I, I love that, and e and even challenging the premise of the 360 uh, okay. evaluation. Like uh, Marcus Buckingham talks a lot about this because our brains are designed to have such a negativity bias. We won't hear the feel goods if we get the negative sometimes. So sometimes, like batching them differently, like we're just going to be celebrating this person right now is, is such a magical thing. I was doing this with a lot of people that I knew that got laid off, you know, from their jobs. And, but you know, we had a lot of history together and they would hop on a call with a bunch of their former colleagues and everyone would just say all the things they appreciate about that person and what they loved about their work. And that was it. And people built have built businesses off of all of those ideas. People have been like, oh my gosh, that's the type of work that I love to do. You know, Jonathan Fields does this thing called the Sparkotype assessment, which is a phenomenal assessment. But it really, again, explores like, how do you work? What is the best way in which you work? How do you most like to show up in your work? And when you're able to figure that out, then that's when you can do the best work. Absolutely. Oh my God. It's been a wonderful conversation. Okay. We're at, we're at the time in, in our, in our interview or that's no, not even an interview. It's a fun conversation uh, for the keep it, start it and drop it. Sure. And so when it comes to embracing play, what's one thing we should keep, you know, in regards to what you see people do from, you know, the years of experience that you have working with people, what, what do you see people tend to do that is really good? And we need to encourage, we need to keep doing it. What's one thing that you think people need to start doing? And, and what do you see us doing that we need to drop? 
So let me first dr- with the start with the drop. You need okay. to drop taking yourself so seriously. Like that gets in the way of everything. <laughs> that inner critic, all that stuff. Because your inner critic is what gets in the way. I mean, I have a whole thing I can talk about regarding that. So you got to drop taking yourself so seriously and thinking about what other people have to say. Because, at you know, just just tying this in, you know, at people on their deathbed say, you know, their biggest regret is, I never had the courage to live the life that I wanted to live. I lived the life that others expected of me. It's just like, dude, they're, they're warning us from their deathbed. So don't do that, right? Let go of what other people's and, and pursue what you want. Um, so that should drop. Um, and then what is it? Keep? Yes. Hmm. Before keep, I'll, I think it's, let's start with the start. You need okay. to start listening to your inner child, your inner curiosity. You need to start working on strengthening that muscle of getting bored so you can hear, hear it. You're listening to everything else out there. Shut all that off for a little bit and listen, start listening to you. If anything you do out of anything that you hear from this, you know, that wants to change your life is simply if you start just working that muscle, like any muscle where you're able to hear your intuition more and more. It will guide you in such a magical way towards a playful, fulfilling life. Um, and then keep, um, you should keep having compassion for yourself. You know, like, especially now, like we have so little compassion for ourselves. We are constantly comparing ourselves to other people. And like, what have I not done? Or, oh my goodness, or I should have gotten more done during 2020. What are you talking about? It was a pandemic. If you didn't learn a new language, this, this pandemic, you're good. It's all right. If you didn't like learn a new skill or a music, musical instrument, who cares? Like if you binge watch Netflix this whole time, fine. If that brought you happiness, great. Like, let's stop beating ourselves up. I think that just spent, we spend so much of our time doing that, which never leads to more productivity. It just doesn't. Like, maybe it leads to like some fear based productivity at the time, but it doesn't lead to a good place. Like, I consider worry a wasted emotion. You know, I think we spend way too much time worrying. And I learned this from my friend Sally who had cancer and then it came in, it went into remission. She got over it and she was back at her work at one of those high powered, you know, companies in New York. And people were like freaking out because they're fourth quarter deadlines and we might not hit our numbers and people are freaking out at the meeting. And she's just sitting there and she's like, I almost died. Like, do you understand like the magic of us just me being here, us being here? Like, what are we freaking out? It's fourth quarter. Who cares? In 10 years, no one will care about this. So we really should be investing time and effort into the things that you'll care about 10 years from now. That that things that you look back 50 years from now and you'd be like, yes, I'm proud of that moment when I chose to claim who I am instead of chasing my worth. Mm-hmm. Some, I've Some, done that I've done. before. I've actually stopped and said, why are you stressing about this? And this is how I try to position it for myself. Would this be important next year? If you revisited this moment right now, a year Mm -hmm. from, even just a year, not even a decade from now, a year from now, what would you say? And most of the time I say, 
what a wasted time. Like you've exactly. wasted time thinking and worrying about this and it helps me move on. Right. Like how many people were you trying to impress in high school? Do you even think about them now? Like what were we doing back? We still are doing high school now. Mm-hmm. We're just doing it with our neighbors and with our colleagues and we don't need to do that. We just right. don't. You know, Eric Eric Erickson was a psychoanalyst uh, um, and a researcher. He was he was he was a student of Anna Freud, Sigmund Freud's daughter. So it gives mm-hmm. you kind of an idea of when he was alive. And uh, he came up with the eight psychosocial stages of life. And he basically said that you know, like I think the first one's like zero to eighteen months, and that's trust versus mistrust. So like you said, you going back to who nurtures you, and, yeah. and so like it all starts you start to form who you are as a person, like in those early experiences, but the eighth stage, the last stage is hope versus despair. And if you've lived a life of always having these unmet expectations of comparing yourself to others of living in a victim mindset, you know, uh, you will end up, you will end up on your deathbed with regret. And like you said, listen to these people. They're, they're talking to us from their deathbeds, uh-huh. listen to their message, you know, versus hope where you feel like you have em- everything that you said, you've embraced your inner child, you've embraced play, you've allowed yourself to, you know, silence that inner critic. Um, yeah, absolutely. I and, you know, it- Yeah. And just to add to that, it's like Dr. Stuart Brown, the doctor of play says like the opposite of play is depression. So if you think of, think of the amount of people, you know, that have massive regrets in their life. Well, maybe they wanted to be a writer or a director or something and they didn't do it. Well, what happens also is not channeling that creative energy in a healthy outlet then manifests itself in negative ways and physical ailments because you were never able to express that. Mm -hmm. So like if anything, you know, why should you play more is because it's for your health as well Mm -hmm. for your well being, as well as it has a massive impact on the world. Our emotion, like when when you talk about play, I'm thinking like, yeah, that's like in the amygdala, right? It's like, we're, it's like the hub of our emotions, our memories. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you look at, the history of management, it, a lot of it was focused on, you know, silencing that emotional part of our brain yep. and embracing play is, is awakening it yep. and embracing and understanding it. it's part of the brain for a reason. Yeah. If it was totally dysfunctional, we maybe through evolution, we would have gotten rid of that part of our brain, but it's there for a reason. And so we need to embrace it. Yeah. And if people are still not bought into play, right. And they're like, play is not relevant in the, in the working world. I always say this from Steven Johnson, the future is where people are having the most fun. And if you look at the companies right now that are thriving the most, the TikToks, the Hulus, the Disney pluses, the Netflix right now, they are the ones having the most fun. And as much as like, I'm not a big fan of Jeff Bezos. One thing he did that was really great early on with Amazon is he was tackling the most interesting tech issues in Silicon Valley. So everyone was rushing to hang out with him, even though he was paying barely anything because that's where the fun was. So if you're like, well, what is the ROI on fun? People go to fun. They want to be in the fun zone. That is where all of the best ideas, the adaptability, the resilience. And when you stop playing, 
That's when Blockbuster happens. That's when TiVo or Magic Cab or all these companies that have gone out, JCPenney, all these companies that have gone out of business because they were not adaptable. And yes. they were playing. You must, have, you must know that book, Who Moved My Cheese? Right. Oh, God, who wrote that book? I'm trying to find it. Uh, Spencer Johnson, mm-hmm. Who Moved My Cheese. If you don't know that book, buy it. It's a quick read. But I always say, if you, you don't adapt, you will die. Yeah. You know, you and, become so rigid, you'll break. Right. And animals practice surviving by playing as kids. Like that's, that's part of their evolution. That's how they, they practice fighting. They practice hunting, all those things for that. Um, so, yeah. Before we wrap up and, and we say goodbye, any last words? Yeah. So I love doing this uh, and sharing this with uh, listeners at the end. Um, I love to goodwill hunt people. Okay. You, you know that movie? Yes. So, so for anyone that doesn't, um, uh, and talk about like play, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, when they created the movie, they created it because no one was giving them a chance. They couldn't get any gigs. You know, Leonardo was getting a majority of the gigs, right? All these other people are getting them and they were like, no one's ever going to get it. No one's ever going to make us stars. So we're going to make our own movie. And that's how they did it. Right. But that's not even the Goodwill hunting part in the movie, in the Goodwill hunting movie. Matt Damon's a genius and he can get any job he wants, any at any think tank, million dollar jobs. Right. And at the end of the movie, he's at a construction site with Ben Affleck and they're working construction. And Ben goes, yo, so when are you going to take, you know, one of these jobs? And, and Matt's like, I'm not, you know, like I'm going to work construction or we're going to raise our kids here and watch them play baseball in Foley field. And yeah, that's what I'm going to do. And Ben turns to him and he goes, if I see you here in 20 years, I'm going to kill you. Like, I'm going to literally kill you. And and Be- and Matt's like, what, what, what? I, I owe it to myself? And he's like, no, you don't owe it to yourself. You owe it to me. And you owe it to everyone else at this construction site because any of us would give anything, I mean anything, to have what you have. You're sitting on a winning lottery ticket and you're too scared to cash that in. And for like each and every one of your listeners, you're sitting on a winning lottery ticket. It's the thing that you've always known you've wanted to do, but you're like also scared to do it. But but here's why you have to do it is, as I said earlier with Howard Thurman's thing, you know, don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive because what the world needs is for more people to come alive. And the reason why is because for someone to show up, you need to show up. You need to cash in and actually do your thing to get in your flow state so that others can. So for example, if you didn't create this podcast and showed up, I wouldn't be able to be on this podcast to share this message. So now listeners, you're hearing this message. This is your permission or your thing to show up so that someone else can, because that person is waiting for you. There's hundreds of people, maybe thousands that are waiting for you to do your thing. So my question to you is, are you ready to show up? Thank you. I'm not going to say anything else except thank you for that. Yeah, this was a wonderful conversation. 
I'm so glad we had it. Oh, thank you so much. You're welcome. I'm going to post it before the end of the year because I think it's a message that everybody needs to listen to. And, and it was, um, was very soul, soul enriching for me and very reaffirming. <laughs> yeah, let's go. <laughs> oh, so th- th- thank you so much to Jeff Harry for being on Tackle Tuesday. Uh, I wish you the best of luck and happiness and joy in 2021. You're doing some great work. Um, and people are switched on to it. Obviously, there's a lot of people that have reached out to you. You're in Australia before the pandemic. And I have no doubt that you're going to continue to to just soar and because you're helping people. Ultimately, that's what you're doing. You're helping people. And, and I think you've helped a lot of my listeners as well. So all of his, all of his links, um, will be in the show notes. Read, if you want to go now and check it out, go to rediscoveryourplay.com and just click on the let's play button. And then there's a bunch of play experiments you can do to figure out who you are, or you can hop on a call with me and we can figure out how you can kick ass in this world. Oh, fantastic. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Absolutely. It was a wonderful experience. Thank you. So everyone, that is our show. I am Dr. Joanna Pogonis. I'd like to thank Jeff Harry for being on the show. And I look forward to tackling the next issue with you.